It's the Benz Brunani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this Baby sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea we are go sipping yo Hard time scrolling for your long shorts You might learn something you never know Could let you find And she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind Child, let me just start this recording Every time I've gone to like record um i've just had a sneezing fit but i feel like it's under it's under control for now yeah 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 i feel good hey i don't i don't so i don't know why my heart wanted to sing that but maybe because when all things are considered i do feel good we're getting ever closer to the publication date of my upcoming short story collection, Edge of Here. And it's getting really real. It's getting really real. My first event, my first like in-person proper, proper event is going to be on Tuesday. It's Tuesday, right? Tuesday, 22nd of August. So people who come to that will have the chance to buy the book like three week, three weeks ahead of publication. So that's going to be at Brixton House. Um, wow. Wow. It's all getting so, so real. So an infographic was made of all the events that I've got coming up. And so one that will that's not on there. The date is on there, but not what it is. 19th of September, I will be at Waterstones, Birmingham. So I know my brummy babes, like it's not a live show. It isn't, but we get to Kiki for a little bit while I'm in Birmingham for the evening to talk of all things edge of here. So join me at Waterstones, Birmingham. That's in a city centre, in it? That's the new lot city centre. So get your tickets. The tickets are £22 um, including a book. So that includes Edge of Here or £5 general admission. So maybe you, you know, did what you needed to do. You pre-ordered the book. So the book, you've already got the book, but you're coming to the event so we can chat and you can ask me questions and we can do all of the things. So I'm very much looking forward to that. So that's 19th of September in Birmingham. You already know about the Barbican show on the 12th of September. My book officially comes out 14th of September. And then I've got the Peckham Playground Say Your Mind live show that will be on Saturday, 7th of October. And there are so many things in between there, but I'll just keep telling you as the things come up, you know, as they're going along. But I know that I haven't even introduced myself. I just felt like I needed to get that quick bit of housekeeping out of the way. It is me, Kelechi, the baby doll in the place to be. And you are listening slash watching SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What? That's right. Suck your mum. Okay. Well, I just feel like I should launch into all of the things because I'm tired. <laughs> you know, there's just no two ways about it. I am tired. So I just thought, let's just jump straight into the tarot. But how are you, friend? How are you doing? I know that for a lot of people right now, lots of things are happening. You're going through some things. I hear you. I feel you. I feel you. Okay. All right. So the tarot question I've got here says, hi, Kelechi. Thanks for all you do and hope you are well and thriving this summer. Okay, cool. I've been trying to book a one-to-one with you when you release the slot, but the girlies are just too quick for me. Within minutes, it's filled up. It just shows how good you are at what you do. 
Anyway, here's my query, and I really hate to be asking about a love reading, but as someone who reads for myself, I found it's the one area where it seems like I have just been off. There have been times in the past when I pull cards inquiring about a connection, and it seems like I'm getting a positive message, but then sooner or later, it all goes to shit. LOL. (laughs) In um, In retrospect, I'm glad none of those connections worked out because they really were not aligned with my highest good. I just want to get better at listening to my intuition and divine guidance, especially through my tarot practice. Overall, I'm happy with the lessons I learned so I don't look back regretfully on anything and I'm um, optimistic about the future. Can you please do a spread for me to get a sense of what I should keep in mind or look out for with future connections, uh, birth chart attached? So let's just have a quick skim read of that. Just looking for your seventh house. Yeah, I feel like um, from next year, it's like I'm saying this to so many people, but I promise you from next year, as in from 2024, I think things will ease up for you just looking at which sign is in your seventh house. And, um, you know, there's so much that you're learning at the moment as well, based on what your ninth house is and, you know, Saturn being there. Uh, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot that you'll be learning and you'll be taking your, whether a mentor shows up or something happens where, or you're not traveling as much, or maybe you travel somewhere and you stay in one place for a while because there's a lot of learning that you're going to kind of garner over the next two years. And I think that that will, that will play a significant role then in who you sort of, I guess, end up gravitating towards. But I always look at like the seventh house, for instance, as the kind of people that are suited to us. That's like, yeah, cool, sure. Um, they say that, you you know, when we look at sinistry, astrological sinistry, if you if people have personal planets in your seventh house, um, generally, very generally speaking, because there are numerous ways to look up um, sinastric um, compatibility. But they say that if one person has planets in your seventh house, um, then the likelihood of marriage is there. And so I feel like the seventh house is the house of like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, we can get married. But the eighth house, baby, the eighth house is like till death do us part. Like this, these are the kind of people that you just kind of gravitate towards and you can't explain it because there's just something so deeply, deeply karmic about it. So when you have an eighth house that's ruled by Uranus, I think that that feels more challenging where you don't necessarily struggle for connections because you've got Jupiter in um, Aquarius. So you're not really struggling in terms of connections. It's just that how they take place is just, it feel can feel a bit erratic and the endings and the beginnings can be rather abrupt. Like it starts out of nowhere, finishes out of nowhere. Don't know what the fuck is going on. But I think that over time um, that will, I feel like that will sort of settle down. And with the planets that we've got currently and the activity that we've got currently happening in Leo, um, which opposes um, your Aquarius, um, uh, you know, your Aquarius eighth house. There is this whole idea about revisiting what your value, what you consider your worth to be in these dynamics, because you are worth so much more than people who have a short attention span. If you're looking for something more long term, then yeah, like you're, you're not really wanting to deal with that erratic sort of energy, but there is something for you to learn there about maybe considering unconventional ways of partnering. 
that's just the vibe that, um, you know, I would say that I'm picking up. But with Jupiter currently in your 11th house, I think that over time or over the next few months, um, yeah, like over the next maybe 10, 10 months, you are going to, your, your social circles are going to increase. Like you're going to have more of them. So more chances of meeting people and maybe considering people that you wouldn't otherwise consider. So yeah, that's just what I pick up generally from there. Just having a quick read, but let's see what the cards say. And I totally get you when you read tarot and you try to read for yourself about certain subjects or certain things, it can feel rather difficult, which is why sometimes I prefer to go to other people to read for me as you're doing now. So it makes perfect sense. Um, but let's see what the message for you is regarding like choosing or, you know, how you navigate these um, relationships and maybe finding something that feels more steady and stable. I want to see how you actually phrased it where you said, can you please do a spread of me for me to get a sense of what I should keep in mind or look out for with future connections? Hold on. So, All right. So the first card we've got is the five of cups. Let me just switch screens. Just switching cameras here. So yeah, the first card you've got is the five of cups, which is, you know, we're looking at disappointment um, which is a standard thing for people to say when they're reading about the five of cups, but I'm going to build on it um, as the cards form. They all want to fall on the floor. So even that I'm taking as a sign that not everything is doomed to fail. And if you enter into dynamic situations ex or, you know, dynamics or situations expecting for things to just, um, I guess, go awry, then that's the energy that you'll sort of meet. Ten of Swords. Yeah, you're exhausting yourself. Ten of Swords we've got here. You're exhausting yourself with um, sort of carrying the emotional weight of how previous dynamics have played out. And you need to free yourself of that. I know that your heart has been broken many times. You know, I get it. I get it. And I hear you. But when I look at the five of cups, I'm going to bring that card up again for those who are watching on a Tuesday on YouTube. Um, when I look at the five of cups, you can see that they, the figure is wearing all black and they're sad that three cups have spilled and they're looking, um, they're looking at the cups that have spilled. They're looking down at them. And then there are two cups behind them still upright with flames in them. So this is really telling us that there are still opportunities at happiness and you'll probably be missing it because you're looking at things through the lens of what's happened previously. Ten of Swords, like I said, being there, we see the image of the swords all in the person's back. So yes, we pick up from their betrayal, but also mental exhaustion and just like, I don't know if I've got it in me to try again, but you have to. I mean, you don't have to, but if you're not going to try properly, then leave people alone. But if you are going to try properly, if you are going to give it your best shot, then you've got to pay attention. The Empress card comes here, comes out here, which is, I think is so beautiful. The Empress card um, is one of my favorite cards in the deck. 
which speaks to fertility, sensuality, um, the divine feminine, motherhood. It speaks to so many energies reminding you of who the hell you are. There's so much richness in you. And it's about connecting with your divine feminine um, as your power and using that to see you through, letting that guide you. Um, and then we've got the high priestess that comes out as well. Like so much like I feel like even ancestrally, just having a lot of beautiful female energy or not even necessarily female, but um, divine feminine energy around you that is protecting you. And you need to tap into that inner wisdom. I say tap into that inner wisdom because more time you already know how something is going to play out. If you ignore the chemical bits that are happening when you meet someone and the excitement or the lust, right? You put all of those things aside for a minute. When you really pay attention to energy, you know if something is, you know, if it feels good in your body or not. So I I, I get what you mean about um, cards saying, oh yeah, this is positive. Because I feel like sometimes when you get a reading like that, where the cards are telling you that this is a positive outcome, it's because ultimately there'll be something great that you learn from this that will be very, very useful to you in the long run. I'm noticing the cards are like five, 10, three, two, so three, two, five, five, 10, like, yeah, it's bringing us to 20, right? Yeah. 20 to zero. Interesting. So something significant for you there with the number 20, I believe. Um, then we've got the nine, uh, the Knight of pentacles in reverse, um, Knight of pentacles in reverse and seven of wands here to say like, yeah, I get it. Keep your wits about you, about what people are offering you. This is where I was going with it before. Like, what are your, what are your um, non-negotiables with how you're treated in life? You've got to decide what they are. What are your non-negotiables? Because for me, I'll give myself as an example. I don't like ambiguity, right? So I, you know, and it's something that took me a while to realize that I really don't like it. I don't like not knowing. And I feel like the moment that you feel like you don't know, fam, you already know, like there's, um, I watch some TikToks sometimes and I don't say, I wouldn't tell you to be getting all of your advice from TikTok, please don't. But there's this video that I saw one time and the girl was like, it's so liberating to just be like, maybe the way, the reason somebody's behaving the way that they're behaving is because they're just not that into you. Like, Maybe they just don't like you And that doesn't take anything away from you Because remember you've got the empress energy You've got the high priestess energy You can be amazing You can be absolutely amazing Which you are And you meet people at a stage in their life Where they can't appreciate the amazingness The wonderful Like they don't have the capacity for it They have not yet learned or unlearned The things necessary In order to embrace the, the, the wonder of who you are so knowing that it's not necessarily your job, I would say probably likely not your job to try to get them to behave differently. Um, and I think like a lot of time is lost, especially especially in cishet relationships where um, I'm going to use just these gender binaries for now, but women meet men and because of the socialization, how society works, whatever the case may be, these men behave in a way that they're not really will, will, uh, willing to change. And you go, well, if I can just get them to change or, or to learn and unlearn things and to heal, then they will be suitable to me and they'll have time for me. But how much time have you just spent doing that? 
Because I, for me, it's like if somebody's willing, then and you want to invest that time, you go ahead. But sometimes even people who are performing that they're willing to heal and unlearn and to work through wounds, they're not really wanting to do a lot of that work because the work is gruesome and the work is yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Healing is not easy, and in healing also it means that they'll have to then um, give up certain aspects of um, patriarchy. And while a lot of men might believe that they want to heal, they still are tethered to the false, empty promises of um, patriarchy. So I say that to be like, I know that the moment, if I see any sort of ambiguity, that's even with friends. I remember at the beginning, I think, of 2021, I just started uh, unfollowing, blocking anybody that I just felt like, I actually don't know where I stand with you. I don't know. So off you go. I take that seriously now because you know when people are serious friendship wise. Otherwise, you know when people are serious and when they're not. So you just don't waste your time, really. Oh, the card we've got here is some call it quitting. I call it realigning my cuteness with my purpose. Just like what I just said. Don't even know if you could see that there. Some call it quitting. I call it realigning my cuteness with my purpose. That is important. You're not quitting. You're not giving up. It's like, oh, well, a good woman would stick it out and help the guy or help the person work through it. Not necessarily. (laughs) Not necessarily. You know, a good woman or a good person can also go, yeah, actually, I think I'm done here. Like I need to realign myself, my cuteness and my purpose with what I'm doing, not to be distracted by trying to help you work through things when your behavior is erratic, right? So that's what I'm picking up for you. Or let's see, 11 you've got here from the Wisdom of the Oracle deck, 11 by the book. And we see an elephant, like a mummy elephant, and then the baby elephants are holding onto her tail and following behind her. So let's see what that says, number 11. Um, Let's see... I hope that the message makes sense anyway. I just channel child. Um, The Oracle's message, the universe works within a structure of divine laws and principles that provides a framework for human experience and evolution. The law of abundance, the law of prayer, the law of karma, the law of attraction, the law of thought, the law of compensation and the law of nature are only a few that are known. These principles create perfect order and operate with a kind of precision beyond human understanding. Even revolution has its place in universal law. Human beings in turn have their own laws and customs that vary from culture to culture and family to family. Laws keep social order and govern behavior, reflecting an instinctive understanding that harmony is important. This is a time to learn these laws and conform to them rather than being the rebel and flouting them. When this card appears, submit to structure and follow the rules, even if they seem to make no sense. Release resistance for universal laws will correct any disharmony. Open your eyes to those universal laws and it will be easier to go by the book at this time. Um, Relationship message here says, getting along with others entails understanding and respecting who they have become as a result of their environment, culture and experience. Find the middle ground that allows the relationship to flourish while honouring the individuality of the other person. Play things by the book instead of trying to break the rules or pressure others to conform to the way you want, um, um, the way you want to do them. Okay. Your connection will deepen as a result. 
I agree, but maybe slightly differently is what I'm saying. What are your laws? Like, what do you go by? This is what I was saying. Like, you've got to have a set of non-negotiables. What do you go by? What are you unwilling to move from? And and you'll find that it's not about what other people do. It's about you and how you feel. That your laws have to govern you. Like, it's about self-governance, right? It's your laws have to govern you. It can't govern other people. The only people, therefore, that then you are going to find affinity with are the people who know your laws, you know their laws, and you can... You can see where you stand. But to be lawless and to just be moving anyhow means that you are going to experience things where it's just like, oh, actually, I, I, I can't get a hold on this. I don't know what's happening. And the reason that I say that the laws that you come um, come up with have to be about what governs you and, ha- um, and how it helps you feel is because oftentimes people will talk about boundaries and this and that, but they're only focused on how that those things, those boundaries essentially control other people. You're not trying to control anybody. You're just trying to be more aware of who and what comes into your environment. So therefore it is important to be like, okay, these are my things. Like I said about ambiguity, I don't like it in any form. So even if, for instance, it's a work collaboration, I need to know all of the rules ahead of time. I need to know what I'm agreeing to when I say that I'm doing this show or I'm doing this deal or whatever. I don't like ambiguity. I need to know so then I can move accordingly. So that applies to every facet of my life, right? So that's not saying that other people aren't allowed to be ambiguous. Just those people aren't going to be likely people that can hang around with me but they can go and be everywhere else. Those deals can suit other people where they don't need to know what happens three years from now when you're still using that image. What happens six or 10 years from now with with the with these podcast episodes? Like what, you know, like if you don't check about the fine details or the fine print, you might find yourself in very precarious situations. So I'm always trying to read the small print. I'm always wanting to know what exactly am I agreeing to because then I can move accordingly. So, and I noticed that, especially because you're asking about dating um, specifically, that with social media and dating apps and just the general culture that we find around us at the moment, guys are starting to do this thing. I'll say men specifically in this case are starting to do this thing. Um, I've seen from like letters and things, just general things that people discuss and friends discuss or whatever, where they'll be like, oh, let's just see how it goes. Yeah. Like, let's just see like friendship first and see how it goes. And while on the surface, that sounds okay, because of course you should build a friendship. Um, and then, you know, you're layering it with the romance and then this and then that that's true. But as with a lot of things in a patriarchal society, People take the vocabulary and then use it to do fuckery. So you can say, oh, yeah, um, yeah, it's a friendship. Let's just see how, you know, this build or whatever is actually absolving that person of responsibility of being able to say, this is your responsibility and accountability of and being able to say, okay, you know what? This is what I'm aiming for. This is what I would like to do. Duh, 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 duh. Because for me, both things can be true. You could say to somebody, oh, let's work on building a friendship because this is where I'm looking to go as opposed to this is a friendship because somebody in your case might be like, okay, well, you've said this is a friendship. I don't kiss my friends. So, and then that's how people are talking about situationships and talking stages and endless things where they're giving their power away because of ambiguity. 
the reason that a lot of people are scared of calling things out and or just simply walking away is because they're like, oh, it will look like I care too much if I ask. So caring too much is then being weaponized. And I don't even necessarily think these times that it's about caring too much. You just care. And then you'd like to know what's going on. But I do know that some people say, if you have to ask, what are we and what's what's this whatever, you already know what it is. So I feel like people are hiding behind these new phrases, vocabulary, because again, it means that they can be in lots of places and not have to be expressly direct about what they're doing. And then should your feelings get hurt at any point, they'll be like, oh, but why are your feelings hurt? We were just friends. We're just feeling it out. Just get, no, like you can be very, very, people can be very, very direct. When you are making an order for food, you know exactly what you want in your meal and what you don't want. And you can say that no tomatoes, no this, no that. So if you can do those things and be direct in that way, why can't you be direct and, you know, very, very clear about what you are willing to bring, um, what you are willing to bring or offer in a particular dynamic. So this is what these cards are saying to you, essentially, that what are the laws that govern you? Because when you know them, you'll know pretty much straight away if somebody is going to be somebody that can be in your city, can be in your kingdom just by going through those laws in your head and looking at how they behave, not just what they're saying, but literally how they're behaving. So yeah, I hope that that, sorry, I hope that that resonates with you. Um, And thank you for sending your letters in. Uh, People, keep sending their questions in for through my shop which is great 22 pounds you can get a one question tarot reading via email like I'll send you the email with um your question answered hopefully I've answered it um so you can do that on by going to kelechiocarfor.com slash shop and you'll see the email tarot reading um purchase there or you can join Straw Society on Patreon and that's £33 a month for me to send you your month ahead reading. So every month I'll send you what's happening for, you know, the next four weeks or so that I'm picking up um, from the cards. And I, those are all personalised. So send it out to you. And that's been going well. So a lot of work, but it's going well. So happy to be doing that. Or you can just send your letters in to here, S-Y-M at kalechiokarfor.com. And hopefully I'll get to your letter and read it at some point. So I think that's that. Let me jump to bigging up this week's show sponsor who, um, show sponsors who are Dipsy. In a bit. I am glad that a few of you are mentioning um, to me how much you're loving Dipsy stories. Yes. From, I don't know. So I think somebody mentioned when they were listening to it on a commute. um, I I just love hearing the places that you are enjoying the sexy stories on Dipsy. Big up yourself. So one person, like I said, mentioned that they were listening on a commute. And I, I think I gave that example before. And so maybe that's why you're like, yeah, actually, I'm going to try it. I'm going to listen while I'm commuting. But wherever you decide in your life that you're going to be listening to these gorgeous, sexy stories on Dipsy, you can be lounging by a pool. You could be walking through the forest. Like you could just be doing all manners of things. You could be going through your weekend, your Sunday market, whatever you like, you can do it that way. Because why? With Dipsy, you can just put on your headphones and you can do it anywhere. Dipsy, in case you don't know, is an app that's full of short, 
sexy audio stories designed by women for women. For women, for women, they bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. So you can discover stories about a range of things. I've given so many examples. You should try it out. Like I need to kind of have a, a scroll because I haven't checked recently, but um, they are always updating it. So basically you can listen to spicy audios um, by various people. I know that they've got TikTok creators on there now that you might like their voices. They're on there as well. Um, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories. Uh, they have wellness sessions and sexy written stories in case you want to read it. But if you're reading on the tube, maybe have that thing, that reflector thing on your screen. So it's dark to anybody else that's trying to look at what's going on. Or maybe you're just like, you know what? Let everybody enjoy it. Come and read with me. Come and read what I'm reading. Anyway, Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. You can explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner if you want to do that. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash straws. So that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash straws. That's dipsystories.com slash straws. Go and get your sexy audio on, baby. Now let's get to share your magnificence. So this week for Share Your Magnificence, I'm speaking to none other than the baby girl, Dawn Butler. Dawn Butler MP, Member of Parliament, a baby girl. Like I've spoken about Dawn on the podcast in passing in the past and I just love her. I think she's so gorgeous, so smart, so fierce, so lovely, so loving, like so kind, like yeah, funny. Ugh. Dawn is a babe. Dawn is an absolute babe. And I can't wait for you to hear this interview because big things are gone. Like, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but hear the end and see the vision politically. See the vision. All right. Let me know. Anyway, Dawn Butler is the trailblazing Labour MP for Brent Central, best known for speaking truth to power. In 2021, she was famously ejected from the House of Commons for calling Boris Johnson a liar. Her tireless campaigning to eradicate injustice from the Met Police to the NHS has changed lives. But until now, she's never talked openly about what has inspired and motivated her to persevere in the face of oppression. Um, I'm reading that from the sleeve of Dawn Butler's new book, A Purposeful Life. So pretty. It's so pretty. Not the baby girls having a book out within a month of each other. Woo! Yes. Anyway, Dawn Butler's book comes out on the 24th of August. You can pre-order now so you can get it on the day that it comes out. Um, Because hopefully you're listening to this on a Monday or whenever you listen to it. If you listen to this after the 24th of August, still order the book anyway. Um, But yeah, I'll stop rambling on and I hope that you enjoy our interview. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me um, to talk about everything to do with your um, book that will be out 24th of August. I can't, well, I've read it. I'm going to, I can't wait for everybody else to read it because you really talk the things and um you know before we launch into everything I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Like just, you know, like you read you know you I followed your career for so many years right 
and you read certain things, but then to be able to kind of read your book, A Purposeful Life, I'm going to bring it off here so everybody can see it. To actually be able to read your experiences from literally from like eight years old and how you got to this point. I have to say like, you have to big up yourself. You have to large up your chest because you really are, you're a phenomenal person. Like you are a phenomenal person and we are so lucky in Britain to have you. And I just feel like (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much though I appreciate that I do No um it needs I'm to glad be said. You enjoyed reading the book. Okay. Yeah, and no, I've loved it. All of my pages. I don't know if you can even see all of my pages. I've all bent up, highlighted Brilliant. things, got my pen all throughout the whole thing. And um, I'd already pre-ordered from the moment that we'd spoken. I'd already pre-ordered mine. So mine's going to arrive on the 24th. And then I'm going to gift it to one of the listeners who probably m- might not be able to um, afford to get it at this time. So I'll send out my copy to them because I've got this one. Um, but I wanted to kind of, yeah, just go in a little bit and talk about your journey. Because as you say, you're not like any other politician. Like no tea, no shade. Like there are great, you know, um, politicians doing what they're doing, but there's always been something about you that has, to me, has always been so ex- like incredibly unique and almost magical. Um, but that magic, I believe is ancestral. I believe it's cultu- cultural. I believe there are so many aspects to it, but it's not a magic that came around by chance because at the very beginning of the book you talk to us about being eight years old coming back from Jamaica and then saying to your teacher I you know there was a cockroach that flew and she was like no there wasn't like no like what are you talking about so even in the everyday magic the everyday magic of our culture it being dismissed what was that like for you or trying to keep magic in a society or in certain environments that told you that your magic wasn't valid Interesting, interesting way to put it as well. Um, but <laughs> lovely to join you on your podcast, by the way. Um, Thank you. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Because like at eight years old, it's it's like a, a huge slap in the face. It's like somebody has turned, literally turned off your light. Like you've come in, you're brimming with all this excitement to tell a story to the Mm. class to be kind of cool do you know what I mean it's a bit scary I saw a cockroach and it flew and you all the kids go "Ooh," (laughs) you know all of that and instead of getting all of that reaction I'm getting no cockroaches don't fly in front of the whole class so that you know that kind of sort of shame do you know what I mean and embarrassment I'm like Mm. what am I to do and I didn't know what to do and it's interesting when you start journeying back through your life and you think okay and you the the feelings start coming back so you might not remember all the words Mm -hmm. but you remember the feelings and how you felt and I felt you know I I felt shame and I felt wow and it it made me question and I'm thinking you can't I you cannot question what I know to be true yes because I saw it with my own eyes and when you've got somebody who's more powerful than you so forget about age it's like a power dynamics and when you've got someone who's more powerful than you dismissing your lived experience Mm -hmm. what do you do yeah what do you do in that situation and it's the same when I was eight years old it's the same when I was 18 28 48 do you know what I mean it's like you you find you find someone somewhere who can help you if you can't do it yourself if you haven't got the words to do it yourself and there's no shame in admitting that either 
Yeah, because I in that particular incident, you you jumped over that wall. You were like, "I'm going home. I don't care <laughs> if I just arrived at school. I I'm, like... go, I'm going home. I'm going to get my dad. Like that's what I'm going to do." And you know, you went home, and you know, rest and in I'm peace to your you, dad. I yeah, <laughs> I mean, they would have been they would have been shitting themselves in the school because I'm out of that gate. I'm over the wall, and I'm climbing and running across the road to go get my. And then they were shitting themselves. They're like, where's Dawn gone? Where's Dawn gone? But it it was necessary. <laughs> and then, like you say, there's always someone that you go to for for help. And in your in that case, in that specific incident, it was your dad. And then you mentioned that, like, I don't know what my dad said, but she never. That woman never <laughs> called me a liar again. I'll let you know that. <laughs> You heard that, right? That came through. It's like, yeah, and my dad was big. You mm. know what I mean? Obviously, he was always like a giant to me, but he was big, you yeah. know? And he was, like, he used to, my dad used to wear, like, a cowboy hat with little corks hanging. <laughs> oh, my God, the phone call. Yeah, so my dad used to, you know, my dad was just a big character, larger mm. than life. Do you know what I mean? It's like, don't mess with him. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, like I said, you know, rest in peace to him because I can see, you know, his mm. influence, the influence of both of your parents, but the, influ- the influence that he had on you and that, I guess, what, and let's see where this goes. But for me, what I find so powerful about you is that you've known protection. You've known what it's like to be a young black girl who has known protection. So you know to mm. expect it in the world. Like, and when it's not there, you're like, ah, 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 this isn't right. Whereas there's some, you know, black children that grow up never having known protection. So mm-hmm. when they get out into the world, it's almost like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They they are expecting mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be violated. So mm-hmm. how much of mm-hmm. your childhood and um those sorts of experiences, those positive experiences in, in the regards of um, the familial structure, um, just in terms of, we're not even talking about nuclear families per se, we're just talking about a, um, a dynamic where you've known protection. How do you think that's played into what you've ended up doing and how you show up in the world? It's so um, valuable mm. to, as you say, when you when you know and understand how you should be treated yes then then it makes it more stronger for you to have other people treat you that way yes so because i knew and this is why um i wrote a purposeful life the way i did because yeah. what i wanted was for everybody to lean into that purpose no matter what it is so You don't have to be an MP. Your purpose could just be that support structure for Mm. somebody who hasn't got a support structure. And if you you are that support structure, if you are that safety net for that person, a friend, a, a niece or nephew, if you are that safety net, then they know they can go out and be adventurous. And if they fall, you will catch them. Yeah. And so that's why I want people to lean into whatever their purpose is. It doesn't have to be big and amazing. You could just be on the sidelines being that safety net, being that warm space where people can come to. Because, you know, when my first interview that I did, I remember when I was kind of going into politics, mm-hmm. somebody said, one of the journalists said to me, what was it like growing up poor? Yes. 
that and part. I was like, oh, I mm. didn't recognize, I didn't recognize that description of my life. Mm. It's like, how can I be poor? I was never hungry. Mm. I always had clothes on my back and I had a family that was there for me and loved me. That yeah. is richness, not, not poorness. So yes, okay, we didn't like, we weren't, um, in the top echelons of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Of those with economy status, but that's, there's more to life than just money. The material, yeah, the and material, so, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I think we need to think differently. And like in my book, I talk about um, how we treat people who society claims are poor. Yes. You know, how we, how we reference them because there's something quite rich and powerful. If you go on to estates, you know, there is a community there. Yes. They are a community. They are a proper community. That kind of community you don't get everywhere. You so don't. don't. overlook that and, and call them poor. Yeah. And it's, 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 yeah, it's that assumption of poorness, not that one would feel, not even necessarily in terms of it being a pejorative term. It's more like, you don't know me, fam. Like, I don't, so the, the assumption is, what did you base that on? What, did you take about me? What signifiers mm -hmm. did you pick up that you decided mm -hmm. that this must be my experience? Because these times your dad had a bakery, your mom's a nurse. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, working at the mm -hmm. factory, like your family, your parents were doing things. Mm -hmm. You know, you lived in an mm -hmm. area where everybody was doing something and it felt like, mm -hmm. you know, a community, as you say. So it's what, what are we basing that poorness on because yeah, like you say, there could be um, very, very affluent neighborhoods that don't know community. They don't. And yet this yeah, is something that you definitely. had the, um, you know, the chance to, you had the chance to experience. And I've, one of the things that struck me about your writing, your experiences is just like, you are resilient to harass. Like, wow. Because <laughs> you ran twice. It didn't work mm -hmm. out. And at the point of you going, you know what, off to Jamaica, like, forget this I'm out and then they're like yeah, yeah. no Brent South that. That, was a, that was a couple of hours going on as well I'm done I'm, done. Party, I'm out party. out and, and then they're like look Brent South is coming up because my man's going to South Africa so how do you feel about that and then yet again you found the drive to be like we go again where is that rooted for you like where is that rooted that sense of like I don't care how many times this thing hasn't gone my way today it will go my way like we're going again it was I mean it's not always there so I, I mean I was ready to run you know what mm -hmm. I mean and I would and I did not want to lose my deposit on my holiday to Jamaica <laughs> I was ready to go you know what I mean and so I was done but it was it was a culmination of a couple of things so it was the people some people who doubted me and the last two runs mm. saw the injustice that happened mm. and came on board okay. so I had more going into the Brent South campaign than I had so I had to fight for everything every step of the way I had to fight and scrabble mm. and you know and get some help and get some support Brent South, there were, there were a number of people that just like, Dawn, we're coming to help you. Amen. You know? And this was even though, and so I decided to go for it, even though the, the system mm. said it was 
this seat was already assigned to Tony Blair's political advisor. So I wasn't coming in there being the the chosen one, Mm. the candidate, the number one candidate, the one that the system wanted, the one that the party wanted. Mm -hmm. But I had enough people supporting me that I'm like, I am going to go for it and I'm going to do what I do best, which is work hard. And I'm going to just do my thing. And I'm not going to let anybody distract me. So all of the shiny lights and the camera people and all the interviews that that person was doing. Yeah. I was not distracted by my opponent. Mm -hmm. I was focused on my campaign. And I think in life sometimes that's what you have to do. Focus on your journey, your campaign, the next step that you're going to take. Forget that that person's running ahead or that person's got like... If you've got enough support and you know behind you, then you know you just focus on your next step, your next step. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard. I feel like that next step. You're like, do I even want to take a next step? Why don't I turn around and go home? Wherever the case may be, like, why am I taking the next step? And I say that because fishnet tights. You <laughs> one day you just said, let me put on a young fishnet tight from my mum's wardrobe. Let me just go to work. And then a whole other thing started. Oh, honestly. And it's funny, I talked to, um, so a friend of mine, Linda Walthrow, who's an MP, mm. she's now in her, her other house in the laws, Lady, Lady Linda. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me about the stories as well and how I, what I was like. Because I was, I was, you know, I was a little bit frantic, you know, yeah. because at first I'm just like, you know, you laugh it off, da, 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 da. And then it's like, oh my God, stop, stop with this over-sexualization. It's yeah. just fishnet tights. Yeah. You know, and then it was just too much for me. And I just thought, this is too sexualized. You know, I was kind of feeling a little bit unsafe, really. Yeah. And just imagine, you know, I had to go and go in the end, because I didn't have the support within my party to, mm. to deal with it, it was like, you know, what you're complaining about. In the end, the only way I could deal with it was to take off the fishnet tights. Yeah. And, and I think that that said... My mum didn't want me to do it in the first place. It's the whole point of me wearing the fishnet tights because you're not supposed to walk around with bare legs. You can't just be walking around <laughs> with bare legs. And that's why, um, I, that's why I saved it because I felt kind of sad that you then had to like take off the fishnet tights. But we understand why you needed to take it off because it was like almost the, the attention was distracting from... Like we all came here to work. It's a f- like, so for listeners who are like, what are you talking about? Basically, there was a day that Dawn stayed over at her mum's. She was out late, she stayed at her mum's. And then the next day, because, you know, you, you know, your mum's stylish, she know, you know, she, she knows the style. She knows a fashion piece. Well, you feel like, let me put on these fishnet tights. I'm going to wear them to work. It's not a big deal. Only to get into the workplace and then joke after joke after joke after joke. And they're all tinged with this hypersexualization and we can't extrapolate you being a black woman from the from the connotations that are being put into the jokes and like you say like we're saying to people other women oh this feels uncomfortable why are you making a big deal of it just get on with it like what's what's the issue and so i i really appreciate ow, that sally in hr was mentioned <laughs> in that bit <laughs> I didn't even know that you were Sally and HR. Remember when remember when you told me you were I was shocked. I was like, you're Sally and HR, you need to bring her back. Because she had me in stitches. But it reminded me very much when I when I saw that that sketch, I was like, 
that is exactly what it's like. People are like, you know, why is she getting attention? Yeah. I'm one fishnet tights. I've never got attention before. <laughs> Soz, Soz, what do you want me to do? McCute from a barn, like, what do you want me to do? I can't help you. Sorry. (laughs) But it is, it is true. Um, And that's why I made that episode because so many of the experiences, and that's why I can't wait for people to read A Purposeful Life is because yes, these are your experiences as um, one of the first black female MPs, just as a female MP, as a black woman, all of those things. But we can relate in the other you know, industries that we find ourselves, we can relate to the experiences that you've had where you're always, it feels like always having to defend your truth, immediately being seen as a liar. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, and why are you wearing that? But I'm wearing the same thing that you're wearing. Well, it looks different on you. So what should I now do about that? <laughs> what? what do, because I, the reason I even made that skit at that time was I remember... There was a weather uh, forecaster in America and um, there was this whole thing where every day she'd have on like these cute dresses. But because of her shape, you know, people would start writing and going, well, I can't focus on the weather. I can't focus on the news because <laughs> because she what she's wearing is too distracting. I'm like, it is her body. What you, what's she going to do about her body? <laughs> so That's you having right. those experiences as well, I, whew, it, it really speaks to us. Oh, good. I'm glad because, and I also wanted people to understand that because sometimes people see me as an MP and they think the journey's been easy, mm. you know. And I want people to know that what we're experiencing, just because we don't talk about it often, mm. uh, it, it's we experience, as you say, what everybody else experiences in their workplace. That discrimination, mm. you know, that that lack of care mm-hmm. and attention, you know, as though as though we're, as though we are, uh, you know, dispensable. Do you know what yeah. I mean? it, it, it's, it's really, and when you try to explain to people that black women are not treated equally, yeah, people think you're making it up. Yes. And so that's why it's important that we talk about it and expose it. And so hopefully people will question what they're doing when they're doing it. You know, they would question. I remember one time having a, uh, so I used to not paint my nails. Actually, this isn't even in the book. Mm. I used to not paint my nails because to be considered serious, you know, you need to have kind of nude nail varnish, mm. you know, no paint. That is that is a serious person. Mm. So I never used to paint my nails. And then I decided I was going to paint my nails one day. And, you know, mm. I used a bright colour nail varnish. And somebody said to me, oh, you can take the girl out of the ghetto, but you can't <sighs> take the girl out of the ghetto. I was like, what? Because I just painted my nails. And it's like, yeah, I was like, what the fuck? So that's what I mean. We're we're treated and viewed differently with the things that we do. And you've got MPs coming in with like illuminous, bright, all different colour nails on it and every finger. Wow. You can take the girl out of the ghetto. These times you were just living, minding your minding your business in Leytonstone, growing up. <laughs> now it's turned into, <laughs> but it is it's so true. We can't do anything without it being an issue. And I love that throughout your career, you've really given us outfits. You have really gave us the lime green suit. Like you've really given us outfits. And I think that that's so important because um, I wanted to go back to what you mentioned about, um, you know, 
MPs don't usually speak about what their experiences are, but it's mm. so important that we do understand what it's like because young women will be looking to you and have been looking to you to be like, do I want to do that? Is that in my future? Do I want to do that thing? And so to see you um, unapologetically, you know, radiant and exuberant in your expression of your divinity and your personhood, it kind of gives everybody else permission that like, maybe I can go into there. Maybe I can be there because you've already gone before us to be like, I've got, I've, I've made it possible for you to paint your nails. Like, go in there and have a painted nail. But why do you think that MPs, especially black MPs, especially black female MPs really, why do you think that they ha- we, we haven't seen much in terms of how you're doing things, in terms of speaking out in this way? Because politics is a very scary environment and yeah. everybody does it their way. Yeah. And that's fine and that's okay. Um, but... Uh, it's it's scary because people can end your career. You know, yeah. they can say, right, you're not going to get promoted. You're, you know, going to be on the back benches for the rest of your life. And there's so many things to, there's, there's so many areas that you have to navigate mm-hmm. and consider. But I've come to the stage of my, I've been in politics now for almost two decades. Wow. I've come to a stage in my life and my career where it's like I know that I'm good at what I do. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm not about to dim my light anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm not going to toe the line and not say anything and keep quiet if I'm getting abused just because, just because... I want to take another rung of the ladder. You know, yeah. it's it's fine. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely fine. It's almost... And coming through cancer, which is the reason why I, I wrote the book in the first place, mm-hmm. I'm like, Dawn, you need to tell your story. Yes. And you need to tell your story so that other people will not erase you or your experiences mm-hmm. from history. And that almost happened, you know, when... I made history as the first black woman to stand at that dispatch box mm-hmm. um, as a government minister and take questions, right? I made history. And one day, like years later, I thought, but, you know, it felt a bit egotistical. But I thought, I'm going to ask the library um, for a list of firsts. Yes. Because, I, you know, I wanted to see where I was in that yeah. list. And I wasn't listed. Wow. I wasn't in that list. And that it would have been that easy for that achievement to be erased. And people say, like, when I say something like on social media, oh, look at you banging on again. I'm like, hang on, I made history. history yes, you understand? yes. Like, if you made history, you'd be talking about it morning, yeah. morning, noon, and night. I made history. Why should I keep quiet about that? Yeah. You know, why should I allow that to be erased from political history? Yeah. So, so yeah. For now, now I'm, I'm like. No, I am going to blow my own trumpet. I'm going to wear my lime green suit. I'm going to stand out because if I, one time in Parliament, I remember saying that uh, Cameron, Mm. I think it was Cameron at the time, he made some comment. It was, um, 
he made some comment and then he sat down like mm-hmm. really chuffed with himself. And I think it was at PMQs and I tweeted, he looks like a child that's just done a poo, you know, when they're really pleased and they just sit down like, oh, I just done a poo. And so I tweeted this out, right? And I think it was ITV picked it up and they were like, what language is that wow. for an MP to be using? They sent a film crew to Brent and was interviewing people on the street, wow. whether that is the kind of language that MP... And I was like, Ray, you know, I, I thought that was quite witty. And right. But it, it blew up into that big thing where, where they're sending a film crew to question whether I should be an MP because I'm using that language. And your language is also always like they have always been scrutinized. Like, and it is so frustrating to see. I mean, one of the most famous times that we know of um, for you was when you called Boris Johnson a liar and you weren't lying. And they were like, well, out of parliament, you go then because you said that. And it, I just feel like you are a truth sayer. And I definitely get this um, vibe because I was going to touch on it later. So I'm I'm really grateful that you brought it up. Your experiences, um, your experience with um, breast cancer, they seem to just be a woof, like a battery. Just, you know, you were just powered up in a different way once you had spoken to us and shared that with us Um, as the public. You were powered up in a different way where it's just like, no, I, I am here. I am here and there isn't a single motherfucker that's going to forget me. I am here. Right. And we see that like shining ever, you know, really, really brightly. But that moment when they were like, oh, you can't call, um, it's unparliamentary language to call somebody a liar, but I don't get it. If somebody has lied, why can, and it was later proven that in fact, they lied, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. resigned before it could be mm-hmm. a thing where you're the first, um, you know, mm-hmm. um, politician or whatever to be thrown out for lying. So we couldn't even get that in the history books because he ran. But what was that like for you? Because you made a comment about poo. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Then you've said, rightly so, this person is a liar. And then they're like, get out. Mm. I mean, I kind of was prepared. So, And this is the thing about systems and structures. If they are not right and not correct, not working correctly, you might need to break some rules to change them. Yes. Because you're, you know, you you can talk and chat, but then they're not going to change the rules because those people in power want the rules to stay as they are. Yeah. So, you know, if women didn't take to the streets, if they didn't have um, active action, women would not have got the right to vote. Mm -hmm. It took action to make that happen. It took protest. So I knew I was going to protest against a system that wasn't working because I'm a part of that system. And so Mm -hmm. I'm an accomplice to something that is destroying the fundamental of our country, which is our democracy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I needed to do something about it. And I'd had enough. And like my office was going, oh, you can't do that, Dawn. Oh, my God. You know, they were were in panic mode. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. It's fine. I knew I was going to get thrown out. There was a possibility I was going to get thrown out. I was cool with that. Mm. So when I did it, and but I was shaking. Like, you can't see it on camera, but I was shaking. And when they said, um, you know, then they said, take it back. And then I thought, no, I'm not taking it back. I can back my chat. What do you mean? Yeah. I've considered it. No. And then I got stronger and stronger. So as, as, it, as interaction went on, you can see I got stronger and stronger. And I went, no, someone needs to tell the truth in this place. You know, yes. you know the lie needs to be called out. And uh, and then um, I was told to, to leave the chamber. Mm. 
And um, my friend said, like, Flo was like, Dawn, why you had such a big bag with you? I had like a big bag. <laughs> my brother's my brother's bag, actually. Tennyson. And mm. um, and I just packed all my stuff because all I had all my papers all over yeah. the place. Cause like, get out now. I had to pack all my stuff and then walked out the chamber. And then I called my office and I was like, okay, let's go, uh, let's go out, let's go and I say to eat. Mm-hmm. I've been thrown out of the chamber. And then one of the uh, doorkeepers mm. came running up to me and said, you need to leave the estate now. Wow. And they were like, will you leave the estate? Like, uh, will you leave the estate or do we need to escort you <gasps> off the estate? And I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting thrown. Like, ow, ow, no, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> I was like, thank God I got my house keys on me. I was like, I was like, can I go back to my office? No, you need wow. to leave right now. I was like, oh my God. So yeah, I had to like make sure that I left and I had to call my office back and I said, I need to leave. You guys need to meet me outside in Parliament because I have to leave. Oh my God. I couldn't believe it. That I couldn't believe. I could not believe that. That was the best moment of my life though. Like one of the best moments of my life. Like I said, my G, yes. <laughs> because when you said it rightly so, someone needs to tell the truth in this place. That should be on a t-shirt, should be everywhere because it speaks yeah. to so many facets of our society. Yeah, Somebody yeah, needs yeah, to tell yeah. the truth because things are wild. And if we keep pretending yeah. and playing along like, oh, we can solve it this way, we don't really get anywhere. Um, But I'm really glad that we got to chat about your book and I'm looking forward to people who are listening right now. You're hearing this on a Monday. Book comes out on Thursday. Make sure that you pre-order. So Thursday, boom, you've received it. Latest Friday, you've received it so you can get into it. But when I was reading this, I got the strong sense of what next? Because to me and to many, many people, you are an absolute superstar. In some regards, I'm just like, I feel like you're too good for these people. I feel like you're too good for politics. Like, My you know, like, but... tell me that all the time. <laughs> leave Parliament. You're too good for, you're too good for these people. They're going to ruin you. Leave. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you, what, do you, um, you know, with the, with this book coming out, A Purposeful Life, what is next? Like, where, where do you see yourself going from this point onwards? Um, it's interesting because obviously sometimes what we do is defined by how you're received, right? So how the how how people receive your story, what mm-hmm. they think of you, if anybody's going to give you a chance, if people are going to, you know, encourage me to do stuff. Um, and but I'd love to do documentaries. Yes. I'd love to have my own talk show. Um, and I think the political thing the I'd love to, like people say, do you want to be prime minister? I'm like, no, I don't want to be prime minister, thanks. I'm good with that. <laughs> but but, um, but being mayor of London, that would be a dream. Because I'd, I'd love to like, you know, I'd love to bring, you know, the butler bakery kind of uh, style, you know, my kind of style yeah. sort of to London. So. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd Mayor of London, that. definitely. I see. I literally, I was yeah. literally talking about it in the last episode that came out before this one, that one day I'm going to run for Mayor of London. But if you run first, that is perfect. Oh. I should be one of oh, your special wow. advisors. I'm only there to talk crud oh. though. Like if anyone tries you, I'm going to be like, Dawn, let's fight them. <laughs> you were like, no, Kalesh, we're not fighting them. Okay, well, that's the only advice I've got. <laughs> 
somebody else chip in. I just want to fight. So, <laughs> but I feel like you, you would make an on my <laughs> Yes, you're gonna need to have like a few <laughs> angels because I'm gonna be talking some <laughs> shit. Like I'm gonna be yeah. talking. <laughs> I'd be like, did you see this tweet? Did you see what they said? (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I think that a mayor of London would be an incredible role for you in any way that we can all support you, whatever you decide to do, because the talk show slaps. You podcast, please give us a podcast, you know? Give us the things because I I feel like, like you said, like we need for more people to tell the truth in this place and where we want to support somebody such as yourself and have, you know, who has been telling the truth for a really long time, even when it's felt like you've been standing alone or, you know, with not as many people as should be there. But I feel like a lot of people are waking up, even though they try to use the term woke in a pejorative way now. A lot of people are waking up and, you know, we want to we want to walk alongside you because you've been you've been doing the things. So thank you, Dawn. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate. I honestly do. And I love the, you know, I love to see like all of these um, young women, especially like young black women just yeah. doing their thing and yeah. owning it and just being successful and flying. And I'm just like, yes, that's exactly what we need to happen. And that's how we get changed. We get changed by sort of, you know, dominating that space that was yes. that we were not allowed to be in. Yes. And I just think, yeah, just keep keep doing what you do. And bring back Sally and HR man. <laughs> this is the second time this in the last two weeks I've been told this. She has to come back. Well she's gonna end she has it. To come back. Well, thank you, Dawn, for being a part of this, uh, what what would we call it, um, a BAME sort of podcast. Um, she does swear an awful lot. But um, it's really great to have you on. And I hope that you do get your bakery. I wouldn't really advise Mayor of London, but maybe you can have a bakery. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Honestly, I love it. You need to just... She needs her own series, man. Netflix <laughs> needs to be listening. We need a Sally and HR series. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview, that chat with myself and Dawn Butler. Such a babe. Two slaps on your chest, Dawn. Congratulations on A Purposeful Life. I can't wait for people to read it because I thoroughly enjoyed it and I guess that look I'm happy for you to be mayor of London first you do your thing I'm senior advisor for a little bit and then I come through and do my thing yeah that's what I'm proposing but um see how the baby girls are all thinking about the same things and I and I would love a Dawn Butler talk show actually I think that that would be great but I don't know like do we want it to be on terrestrial like british television not really because i feel like they'll stifle her source i need something else i need them to zhuzh it up a bit but i would love i would love that dawn has a lot of charisma a lot of knowledge um there were so many things that i would have loved to even like delve into further from reading the book but you know we we, we had some technological technicalities technicalities all of that happening So we had like limited amount of time, but Dawn even knows British sign language. She used to be a computer programmer. Like she's a woman of like so many skills. Like 
there's so much to talk about there but like I said two slaps on your chest Dawn like you're amazing and whatever you go on to do I mean you're still an MP right now but whatever you go on to do we love that for you we absolutely love that for you um well anyway let's get to so you mad so you mad's nice and brief don't want to keep you all here too long it says here for this week so you mad The British Museum in London has sacked a member of staff and police are investigating after treasures were reported missing, stolen or damaged. Items included um, gold, jewellery and gems of semi-precious stones were among those missing from the museum, one of the UK's largest tourist attractions. The majority of the items were kept in a storeroom, the museum said. British Museum Director Hartwig Fisher said the museum would throw our efforts into the recovery of objects. He added, this is a highly unusual incident. I know I speak for all colleagues when I say that we take the safeguarding of all the items in our care extremely seriously. I'm sure you do. We have already tightened our security arrangements and we are working alongside outside experts to complete a definitive account of what is missing, damaged and stolen. Legal action would be taken against the staff member who was fired, the museum added. The Economic Crime Command of the Metropolitan Police is investigating, but no arrests have been made. (laughs) And they better not be. The British Museum has also started an an independent review of security. None of the items, which dated from the 15th century... um, which dated from the 15th century BC to the 19th century AD, had recently been on display and were kept primarily for academic and research purposes, the museum said. Um, The items were taken, um, it's understood the items were taken before 2023 and over a significant period of time. George Osborne, (laughs) like we need to hear from him chair of the British Museum, would you look at that, said the trustees of the British Museum were extremely concerned when we learned earlier this year that items of the collection had been stolen. He added, we called in the police, imposed emergency measures to increase security, set up an independent review into what happened and lessons to learn, and used all the disciplinary powers available to us to deal with the individual we believe to be responsible. Mr. Fisher added the organization had brought um he, Mr. Fisher added the organization had brought an end to this and was determined to put things right. Um, the museum's independent review will be led by former trustees Sir Nigel Boardman and Chief Constable Lucy Dorsey um, of British Transport Police. They will provide recommendations regarding future security arrangements and start a vigorous program to recover the missing items, according to the museum. Sir Nigel said it will be a painstaking job involving internal and external experts, but this is an absolute priority, however long it takes. And we are grateful for the help we have already received. Um, The Bloomsbury based attraction sees more than six million people visit it each year. Its collection spans six continents and two million years of history, including the Parthenon Parthenon structures, also known as the Elgin Elgin marbles. the fate of which is a subject of much discussion. Um, the reason that so many people visit is because there's nowhere else for us to see our things that you stole. When you do clownery, the cat, the clown eventually comes back to steal. Okay. Not all heroes wear capes. All right. Like the cheek, the goal, the temerity that you would have the audacity to accuse somebody else of stealing, stealing and damaging. 
Safeguarding what? This false benevolence, this weird sort of paternal position that you put yourselves in, that you're helping other people, other countries look after the things that belong to them. And you know what? Those things that you kept there, I'm sure that they're of spiritual significance. And that's why you want it back so much. And anybody else that's looking to apply to the British Museum to do the same thing? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Use me as your reference. Use me as your reference. Go there. Go there and take the things back because that's what you deserve. Because nobody's telling you enough That is exactly what you deserve Return the people them things Like return all of our things About your keeping it And your safeguarding Go safeguard your bumper hole Go Go and safeguard your ass hairs And give people back their things Every day you're being dragged About the Benin bronzes You're being dragged about the things That you took from Ethiopia You're being dragged about the things That you took from China, Japan Like you, India and then you're parading some of these things on the crown of them pussyclots in a palace. It will never, ever be well with any of you. It will never be where it will. And if you ever see that me, I've become a trustee of the British Museum, know exactly what I'm going in there to do, okay? About your tightening the security measures. Security measures. That's what we should have done across those six continents that you stole from. That's what we should have done. Tighten the security before you came there, pillaged, And did all the things that you did You're keeping it You don't have any shame Well done To whoever you are That did what you did Well done I hope that many more Join you You can't say that Kelechi It's like you're promoting theft Really? 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 Nonsense Absolute nonsense That's all I wanted to say for So You Mad Because I didn't want to waste too much time Um, I'm just going to jump to Straw of the Week A.K.A. Suck Your Mum Okay Lucy Letby Lucy Letby is the nurse That's been finally convicted Of killing seven uh, Trigger warning Baby death All of them things there So Lucy Letby, a nurse that's now been convicted of killing seven babies and harming several more. It's a lot. It's a lot. I watched the interview with Dr. Ravi, this uh, pediatrician of South Asian descent, when he talks about how he, along with um, a couple of other doctors, had reported to the hospital management team, like the higher ups, the very higher ups that, oh, whenever this woman is on shift, babies be dying, like something is up. And they were basically told over time to just shut up and stop um, to antagonizing her and even to write her a letter of apology. Meanwhile, she was killing. When they took her off the ward initially, after when the complaints were made, the, the baby death stopped. She came back. They started. The police, however much I cussed them, only needed to hear for a few minutes what the doctors believed was going on for them to go, oh, we need to arrest there. We need to, no, we need to investigate this, right? But I want to know why the management team was so reluctant to hold her accountable because there is a cover-up happening somewhere. She did that shit, definitely. But why were they so invested in not letting her get caught is what I want to know. Because Tony, what's his name? Is it Tony Chambers, Abby? 
one of the um, management, all the management team that knew and they tried to brush it under the carpet. All of you also need to smell a jail cell. If we're going to say that we want to abolish prisons, but prisons are going to remain around for a minute. For those 60 seconds of that minute, you must also go and smell that prison cell because what's happened is absolutely disgusting. When I was reading about the fact that she would uh, put insulin in the air or she would overfeed the babies um, to kill them, um, some would just, you know, collapse and luckily, you know, they could be saved. Um, she would do this around their due date. So if they arrived a little bit early, their due date is when she would do it or um, she would do it on um, the day that they were going to go home with their parents. It will never be well with her. But Tony Chambers, that's the name. Tony Chambers wrote to her family and um, wrote to Lucy Letby's family to apologize to them. Chief Executive Tony Chambers met with Letby and her parents in December 2016 and apologized for how she'd been treated. He told them the doctors would be dealt with. Um, he resigned after agreeing a non-disclosure agreement with the trust. What do you mean non-disclosure agreement? He resigned. So they let him resign to cover his back to save face so he can go and work elsewhere and allow for the same um, nonsense, the same heinous crimes to be committed there too. Well, let's get into it. It says here, Lucy Letby, Britain's worst child killer, was promised a role at Alder Hay Children's Hospital by managers who dismissed fears she was a killer. Um, after successfully persuading the Countess of Chester Hospital that she was being victimised by doctors, managers offered her support for a master's degree or training as an advanced nurse. Letby had a victim statement read to the trust board. The... Um, she, there was a grievance report into her case that details how managers wanted to protect her from allegations as well as board minutes, emails and previously unseen evidence showing how the trust board was misled and turned against doctors. But how could they be turned against doctors over one white woman is my thing. Like I talked about white women last week and then we're back again this week discussing white womanhood again. White womanhood as a construct of white supremacist heteropatriarchy has a definite function and role to play. They, um, white women need to pre be presented as nice and innocent and pure in order that white supremacist, um, white supremacy and white supremacist heteropatriarchy has a reason to go to war in order to protect them, right? So we know that white supremacy doesn't really give a fuck about women or children because we see the violence that's um, inflicted upon them all the time. But they will use that. So it's like this weird cognitive dissonance. They will use that, this manipulative tactic to be like, but we're protecting you. You're feminine and you're pure and you're innocent just so they can go and constantly be at war because we need to protect these um, pure women and girls from those monsters over there that's going to just come and rape them and kill them. But you're raping them and killing them already is the thing. So there's got to be more to the story, but just on the surface of it, the why I'm bringing this up in straw of the week is because I want to say a massive fuck you and suck your mum forever, you pricks to mainstream media, you fucking motherfuckers, right? It does. It's not accidental that they keep showing these images of Lucy, choosing nice pictures of Lucy, talking about oh my god, it's shocking. I don't know why I expected a baby killer to look like, but not this. So show me. Draw me an image of who you expect to look like a baby killer Because if you don't think she looks like one There must be an image in your mind of who does look like one And I would like to see it I would like to see it 
Because we need to talk about that Because she definitely won't be blonde and blue-eyed I know that for sure I know that for a fact And people talking about she's so attractive Where? Where? She looks like a fucking thumb And I don't even want to come for another woman's looks But I'm just so tired You lot did this fucking shit With Pippa Middleton as well Like rear of the year Meanwhile her back was flat like an ironing board It's the way that you want to gaslight all of us Like delude all of us Force us to believe in this weird beauty of white womanhood And I just don't see it I see the beauty of everyone Girl, stop lying It is a podcast like it'll be here forever Let me rephrase that I understand that there's beauty in everybody This hierarchy of beauty that you're creating though And have have created in order to center whiteness I don't buy it Because more time they're only signifiers, right? I say that because think about the psychological impact of saying to somebody Oh, guess what? Guess what? I've got a new bird I've got a new bird and she's a leggy blonde with blue eyes You're expecting that she's going to be a painting That she's going to be a buffting Meanwhile Meanwhile She's looking like that string that you used to play Cat's Cradle Right? Meanwhile she's looking just like a haystack Just like dry Just dry All right Because there is a reason that these signifiers matter Or a fiery redhead Or this or that there, there is a reason They're meant to serve a purpose And all the purpose that they serve Is just disgusting either way Blondes have more fun Do they? And all the fun that they're having Have they washed their legs? All this highlighter, highlighter, highlighter That they're putting on their hair Have they washed their palm? I don't know That's not what we're here to focus on My point is the fact that There's a reason It's not by, it's not by mistake That the mainstream media keep talking about how shocked they are By this uh, baby killing allegedly good looking person It's because they want to make it sound like Lucy's an anomaly Like she's a lone wolf That's what they do when them them white men go and shoot up schools And shoot up arenas and do this and do that They make it out like they were acting alone Oh my god, they were lone rangers You know, I can't believe this This is an anomaly Well, it's not White violence is very, very consistent And predictable and frequent There is nothing shocking about it There I can't think of anybody in my circles, right? Regardless of race But let's say even race I can't think of any black people in my circles That I fuck with, that I roll with That would have been shocked that Lucy Letby The way that she looks, she could be a killer That she could, not forget even being a killer That she could um, inflict violence Why? Because we have come across a type of Lucy Letby At one point in our lives I can even say that Clemmie Hooper falls into that Not me calling Clemmie Hooper a killer, no But look at how the Nursing and Midwifery Council I talked about this a few podcasts ago They decided that, oh, you know All um, um, Clemmie Hooper has to do is go to um, unconscious bias training That's all she needs to do Even though we've seen from her creating that burner account at, um, Alice in Wonderlust And abusing and terrorizing people in the way that she did That it is not somebody that should be allowed on any hospital ward That is not somebody that should be around anybody who's vulnerable Especially not if they're black Like they should, they should, she should be nowhere near them 
But they allowed her to come right back Lucy, again, doing what she was doing The hospital managers backing her There were investigations or internal investigations done They came back to say that she's competent And there's no reason why anybody should, um, you know um, Accuse her of such to the point where the doctors who accused her had to write a written and they had to write a letter of apology to her. Even though the, 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 the stats and the facts were there that when you're on shift, the babies, them are dying or collapsing or getting into major distress. You cannot convince me that Lucy Letby is an anomaly When I know that black women are five times more likely to die during childbirth In comparison to white women You can't convince me that she's an anomaly Because maybe the rest of them can just hide behind incompetence And because of how little people care um, Or society cares about black women and children Or black people generally Then the stats will just be stacking up And it's just another thing altogether White women's tears Get everybody else killed Right All she had to do was cry Be blonde and blue eyed And it was just like Oh Why would you accuse her of such a thing I can't imagine her doing such a thing When you think about it Like I said The mainstream media Trying to pretend like This is an anomaly And not um, just the standard When it comes to white women And violence Like I said White womanhood is a construct It's, It's a construct that is meant to serve White supremacy White feminine purity Is part of white womanhood And white womanhood Is inextricably linked to it Look at the way that white women vote If we're talking about Even in the American sense um, But just even outside of that Look at the way that white women vote When you talk to me about All the movements about suffragettes this Or like Oh um, How um, historically White feminism has been this That and the other White women have fought For their own interests And those interests were specific They wanted the same power As white men So when you now start doing All of this like Oh my god White men Am I right? You're not You're not right And you're not wrong It's not white men White men wouldn't have been able To do what they do Have done for so long If it wasn't for the support Of you as white women it would not have been possible And so you perform your role Of being innocent and needing protection And they will do every manner Of disgusting, vile acts In order to protect you And again, I'm speaking about constructs here Because I find that sometimes When I'm ha- trying to have Very salient conversations With some of you lot I'll be like, but isn't isn't her partner Wasn't her partner, you know, a white man And again, you're not listening You're not paying attention You're not listening and I, don't, I just don't know what to tell you The same way when I'm talking about patriarchy And I date men Like, can you... Anyway Let's keep going There is a reason that they want us to believe That this is an anomaly Because they don't want us to draw attention to the fact that White supremacy is white supremacying all of the time And the moment we start thinking of white women as violent It means that white supremacy becomes ever evident That's the whole reason that something like Karen As a term was even created by the black uh, By black people on social media, right? Because we understand the way that Or the ways in which that white women specifically Are instrumental 
in upholding white supremacy. And when they play silly, like they don't understand that these structures are in place, but they can pick up a phone immediately and be like, I'm going to call the police and tell the police that you've done X, Y, Z to me because they understand what the police is there to do in terms of upholding white supremacy and the myth of white feminine purity that needs protection. Right. Even though we know that it's just bullshit because white women are harmed by the police. We saw what happened or we, you know, read about what happened to Sarah Everard amongst other cases. We know that white um, women aren't actually protected in a way that they think they are by police either, but they don't want to let go of this delusion. Wake the fuck up. Wake up. Fam, you're not safe. You're not safe. So rather than pretending like, oh, I can't believe I'm shocked that somebody that looks like Lucy would do that. No, go and ask anybody who's ever had to face some kind of tribunal and they've worked in um, offices or whatever the case may be, wherever they work, whichever workplace, and a white woman has cried, a white woman has cried against them, that person ends up either losing their job or being um, tarnished in a major, major way because of a white woman's tears. Imagine a consultant saying, hey, this nurse is a problem and you are saying that no fuck what the consultant and all the other consultants have said she's fine why would you do that what about her would allow for you to do that i don't know for y'all i just don't know because historically presently all of the things are there that white women as a construct white womanhood as a construct and white feminine purity that is an integral part of that is dangerous and has always been dangerous. If you think about Carolyn Bryant and Emmett Till, all she had to do was accuse Emmett of whistling or brushing by her or touching whatever she said. And look at how violently, how violently they mutilated Emmett Till. And there's been many other cases that speak to the same thing. Elizabeth I, 1564, she was the uh, first uh, British monarch like to go, oh, Here's one of my royal ships um, to, is it Dawkins? She's like, here you go. Or is it Hawkins? Dawkins. She's like, here you go. Here's one of my ships. You take that and you go and enslave some African people. And then we had James I build on that. Then we had Charles I build on that. And then Britain was a republic for a little bit. And then Charles II came and that's when he really ramped it up. And then when all of that went like left for him, um, he just moved into kind of like, oh, I'll be part of this Guinea something, something company and um, we'll just take the exploits of what's happening on the plantations and what's happening from the slave trade. And as an entity, that particular company, nobody was slaving like them. Nobody was slaving like them. So I bring that up like I did in a video that I posted on social media, because if we can, when we consider that the transatlantic slave trade and colonization was one of the biggest crimes against humanity. In the British context, the first person that went, let's run that shit, was a white woman. Working within patriarchy, of course, white supremacist patriarchy, but it was a white woman. Then we think about the missionaries and the ways that they would mutilate and torture black children or children, black children, Asian children, like just non-white children. Well, even Irish children, I think. Like, yeah, um, missionaries would go out to these places and for under the guise of, oh, we're civilizing you and bringing you to Christ. They would do the most depraved things to black children and black people generally. Those were white women. Segregation, all of them things. 
white women move mad there too that they will take their children take everybody to go and sit under um what is it uh, trees where black people had been lynched and they have picnics there when you look at the documents that were managed to be salvaged throughout um from the times of slavery, colonization, all of those things, you'd see that white women, when they would travel with their white male partners or whatever to the plantations or to the countries that they were going to be at, they would do some abhorrent things to the black people that who were there. Horrible things, like really sick, sick, evil things. But then when it's presented to us in period dramas, except for Django, that I can recall off the top of my head, but I'm sure that there were others, um, when they would do these period dramas or whatever, it's always presented as, oh, look at this white woman just suffering in this heat. She doesn't want to be here. It's these white men are doing, you know, that are doing these things. And that's what I'm saying to you when they try and say, oh, it's male, stale and pale. Or, oh, it's white men. Am I right? Shut the fuck up. You're not right. Don't, fo- don't just for a moment focus on your white fathers, grandfathers, your uncles and your brothers. Look at your mums as well. Look at your mums, your aunties, your grandmothers. Look at them lot as well. They are also a part of this. It didn't happen by chance. It didn't happen without them. So right now, while we're being forced to believe that, oh, Lucy Letby was acting in isolation, you know, this is such an anomaly. How can somebody who looks like that do such a thing? First of all, I don't know what you're saying that she looks like. But also, people who look like her have done that and even worse and even less. But the impact is still right there. And the reason is still right there in order to uphold white supremacy. Like, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what to tell you. The mainstream media right now is just in the gutter and nobody wants to tell the truth. They want to pretend and perform like, oh my God, we're so confused. We're so confused. How did all of this happen? We're, oh, how did this happen? Oh, what does this mean? A white, oh, look at how she looks. She's blonde haired, blue. Oh my God. Really? Really? It's like that one, that white girl that went to Oxford University that stabbed her boyfriend in in the leg with um, a knife and also shard of glass. And then the judge, a white man, said he wasn't going to, he was going to give her a suspended custodial sentence or something because he didn't want to ruin her life. And after a um, period of time, it would be expunged and whatever, whatever. Anything to protect her because white women are never, ever, ever forced or encouraged to face the violence that they represent. Never. And the moment that you show them and even a little bit of it in the workplace or otherwise, when you're like, oh, what you've done there was offensive to me, the waterworks come out because they're not equipped to talk about the ways in which they are complicit in extreme violence as a means of upholding white supremacist heteropatriarchy. That's all I wanted to say today. I don't have anything else for you. I'm just disgusted. I remain in a state of constant disgust. So let's wrap it up there. Let's wrap it up there. Yeah. I have been, who have I been? Kelechi Okafor. And this has been SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What. That's right. Suck your mum. You know where to get the things. You know where I'm going to be at and what book you need to get or books like Dawn's as well. Like, you know, all the things that you need to be doing. So just do it. Catch you on the flip side. Peace.
It's the Benz Brunani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this If you sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea we are go sippy yo Hot time scrolling for your long truants You might learn something you'll never know Could let you find, and she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind